0: your team every day it's the locked on podcast network your team every day what's better than this
1: guys being dudes kyle if that's true i'm gonna i'm gonna die What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. I'm Joe Marino of NDT Scouting and FanRag Sports, joined by Kyle Krabs, who's the founder, director, and CEO of NDT Scouting, also with FanRag Sports. We are your hosts here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. Excited to be here for you on a Monday edition of the show, the day before Halloween. Kyle and I have some fun stuff planned for you, going to get into some some festive things, we're going to talk about some football things, and just have a good time here as we start your week. Kyle, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, man. It's, uh, it's nice to have the CEO step in, huh? Yeah. Got to make some time and, and record a Draft Dudes podcast, so yeah, it's, uh, I didn't know that was in my job description, but here we are.
1: So many titles, man. See,
2: uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, you want to appreciate this as a non-Game of Thrones watcher. I'm, I'm rolling up titles like Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, oh. Boy. Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, the Unburnt—you know—the list goes on and on.
1: The uh, the fantasy team I played this week—the name of it was Breaker of Chains. So I Breaker guess that's a, yeah, that's a Game of Thrones thing.
2: You know, the, our league last year had somebody who was uh, Demaryius Thomas spinoff Demaryius Targaryen. And the okay. character's name is Daenerys Targaryen.
1: Oh, well, that's nicely yeah, done. Yeah, Very clever. What it is. What is your What's your fantasy football team's uh, name? I know not, you have
2: not safe for work. Cannot Cannot repeat. Oh. On here.
1: <laughs> so, okay. If I know listen, my
2: first. If you're listening to the show, and you think you have a guess as to what my fantasy football team name is, I would love to hear your guesses in my mention on Twitter at NDT Scouting. Let me know what you think. What not safe for work fantasy football team name i have can we have a hint no you may not wow okay what's
1: what's your fantasy football team name joe you know what it is don't you and that's why you're giggling right now no not necessarily i i have one fantasy football team and the name of it is chicken wings chicken why chicken wings Dude, I don't know, because I, I don't care enough to think of anything creative. And that's chicken terrible. wings are on my mind seventy five percent of the time, so that's, I just went. That's terrible. Hey, it's almost as bad as I am at fantasy football. So that's uh... actually I won my league last year. It's funny I say that I won the league last year, and the name of the team was Chicken Wings.
2: So there you have it. Well, kudos to you. That's nice. I, I've I've given up on fantasy football altogether this year. I Dalvin Cook and Odell Beckham. So. That tells you everything you need to know about my season this year. Sorry to hear that, Kyle.
1: Uh, On more better news, I guess, we are 177 days away from the 2018 NFL Draft. And as it's become tradition here on the show, we are going to give you a number that's relative to the amount of days left until the NFL Draft. And so today, in 1981, the Chicago Bears made a draft pick, 177 overall, a defensive back. From the University of Southern California, Mr. Jeff Fisher, seven and nine. Jeff Fisher was the 177th pick in 1981. Kyle, what do you think about that? Why do you
2: seven and nine, man? You're you're brutal. I love it, but you're brutal. And I have some fun stats about Jeff Fisher's football career. You know, he's the 177th pick. He had 178 coaching wins in his career between the Titans, Oilers franchises, and the Rams franchise. And Joe, I want to read to you some of the names that Jeff Fisher has been able to allocate more wins than just by attrition. (laughs) Because this guy was a head coach for the first time in 1994 with the Houston Oilers. Then they moved to Tennessee. Then they became the Titans. Then he left for St. Louis in 2012. And he was there for four years. He, He was a head coach in the NFL for like 22 years. 94 to 2016? Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. So you know he was 142 and 120, which averaged out to 8.8 wins per year over 16 years with the Houston-Tennessee uh, franchise. And then he was 31 and 45 with the Rams. These are the names of people that he has allocated more wins than in the NFL as a head coach. Paul Brown, Mike Holmgren, Joe Gibbs, Bud Grant, Bill Cower, Marv Levy, Tony Dungy, Hank Stram, Mike Ditka, Dick Vermeil, Sid Gilman, George Allen, John Madden, Don Coyrell, Vince Lombardi, Bill Walsh. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> Some of the names... That he's just because he stuck around so stinking long, he was able to allocate more wins than those people. And Jeff Fisher is fourth (laughs) on the all-time list for career losses as a head coach behind Don Shula, who won about 180 more games than Fisher did with two more losses. Uh, Shula's winning percentage was 67% versus 51% for Jeff Fisher. Dan Reeves for the Atlanta Falcons, Denver Broncos, New York Giants. And Tom Landry, who was at 60% winning percentage, actually finished with the most career losses when you're combining regular season and playoff wins and losses. You
1: know, uh, listening to you go through the... the players or the coaches that he has more wins than there was a lot of gold jackets mixed in with Mr. Jeff Fisher. (laughs) Yes.
2: Hat tip to uh, the Wikipedia page. I'm on for list of head coaching uh, head coaches with 50 plus wins in the NFL because it actually color coats uh, the name, the, the cell that the name is in if they're a hall of famer. So I'm just look reading through, looking at the green boxes and saying, Oh, Hank Stram. Oh, Joe Gibbs. Oh, Bud Grant.
1: George Halas, like just on and on and on and on and on. How about that? So Jeff Fisher, one seventy-seven overall. We're one hundred and seventy-seven days away from the NFL draft, and we are one day away from Halloween. Kyle, tell the people what we're going to do uh, to celebrate. Yeah, we're
2: celebrate. We will. You know, last year on the on our podcasting efforts, we did a draft for Thanksgiving, and we picked you know an entree three sides, a dessert, a beverage. Um, Joe and I went back and forth. Joe and I are currently one and one in these contests throughout the course of our career of podcasting together. And today we get the rubber match because we're going to be drafting our best possible squad of five Halloween candies. There's... No restrictions as far as you know. You have to draft X amount of one kind of candy and then Y amount of another kind of candy. Nope, it's just pick your best five. Let's line them up across each other and, and see who brings home the biscuit, Joe.
1: Yeah, I'm ready. I'm coming off the win for the barbecue, the 4th of July barbecue plate draft. So I'm ready to continue, stack up some wins here and put together a Halloween bag of candy that is – Unmatched. Now, Joe, I do have some bad news for you.
2: Uh, I'm aware of this bad news. We aligned, uh, we arranged for this over the weekend and decided that we were going to pick college football games against the spread. <laughs> and you probably had to feel pretty good because the last two weeks, I've been one in seven with my picks against the spread. I've been struggle-bussing hard. So you are probably rolling into this thinking, yeah, no, he's he's ice cold. I got him right where I want him. I'll make my picks, and I'll go home first overall pick. Because let's be honest, Joe, first overall pick was what won you the 4th of July plate.
1: Oh, no. It was the quality, the depth, the overall <laughs> It was, that plate. was
2: absolute from the crowdsourcing that I did. Your 4th of July plate was won with the first pick. Well, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself here because you have the first pick. I, and it's an easy pick. So, <laughs> Joe went 1-3 and three against the spread. Kyle went 2-2, two and two, so here we are. I have the first overall pick. Uh, would we like to put me on the
1: clock? Uh, yeah, the uh, 2017 NDT Scouting Draft Dudes Halloween Candy Draft is now open. And Kyle, you are on the clock.
2: And with my first overall selection out of the entire pool, I'm going to take Reese's Peanut Butter Cups as my Oh, I heard a sigh of despair over there from Joe. It's a no-brainer. Number one pick, you can get them in little pumpkins. Easter comes around, you can get them in Easter eggs. Uh, I don't care what shape they're in. Just give me a good old-fashioned Reese's Peanut Butter Cup.
1: All right, Kyle, uh, before we go any further, I, you know, one of the best things about the Senior Bowl is that it's sponsored by Reese's and the endless supply of peanut butter cups uh, that are in Mobile during that time. Fact or fiction, Kyle, yes. we received, we received uh, at, at the game Oh, gosh. I would say six, maybe ten-inch football. That This that is was... absolutely fact. That yeah. was.
2: <laughs> and it was gone by the time I got to the
1: airport on Sunday morning after the game. And and so how did we re- reveal that? Like, I was talking about that I was still eating it, like, several weeks later, and you housed that baby at the airport. Yeah, I'm a, a grown boy. That's impressive. That's impressive. That That, that thing had to be, like. Two or three pounds. Worth it,
2: it, of- was, it, was, it was every bit of like the mini footballs that they throw out at the high school games into the stands. <laughs> like it was the size of one of those. Like a full-on Reese's Peanut Butter Cup that size. It was amazing.
1: Well, I'd like to thank the Virginia Cavaliers uh, for their efforts against Pittsburgh that led to me. Uh, having to not have Reese's in my bag, but we'll have to bounce back. We've got a strong choice here. We've got to get Snickers off the board here with my first pick. Uh, I mean, it's it's the best candy bar. So I didn't get the best candy because Reese's, uh, you know, is is in a class of its own. It's going to put a lot of stress on me here to build a a, a bag here that uh, can, you know, that's worthy of uh, not having Reese's. And the way we do that is we get the best candy bar out there, and that's Snickers. Yep, it's a, it's a respectable
2: choice, but it is a little polarizing for having a hard nut in the bar is it not no no, no. you don't think so joke no. give, give me a break <laughs> no you didn't and no, what i didn't. mean by that is with my second selection i am taking kit cats it's a it is a wafer style it's thin it makes you it makes you feel not too bad about yourself if you eat them because they're they're lean. They're light. They're delicious. They crunch. There's a whole lot to like about Kit Kats, Joe.
1: Yeah, it's a strong it's strong pick, but it's tenth on my board, so I'm I'm quite happy with that selection for you. Uh, I'm gonna come back here and i go ahead and take the number one non chocolate on my board. Get the Sour Patch Kids in my bag. You know, get, get the uh, get some. Some of that sweet, some of that sour to go with it to compliment my Snickers and, and Sour Patch Kids, my number two pick.
2: That's an interesting selection, if if nothing else, because, again, I think you're polarizing there because some people don't like sour. I'm building
1: my Halloween bag, and if the people like it, they like it.
2: Well, already making excuses for when you take the L. I respect it. <laughs> Got to have the contingency plan. with my third selection, I'm taking also... Taking a gummy style candy. I'm not taking no sour patch kids. I want sweet. I'm eating candy. I'm taking Swedish fish. Nice, chewy, gummy, Swedish fish. You could put it in, in uh vodka if you like and soak it and make a drink. Joe, have you ever tried that? No. Oh man, you you, you need to expand your
1: horizons, I'm gonna tell you that right now. Look, you, you look like you're building the Weight Watchers Halloween bag here. Uh, I'm gonna move on here. <laughs> I mean, I eat sweetest fish because they're delicious and they're fat free, right? That's at least what it says on the box. And, uh... Uh, yeah, they know how to brand it. They're smart. Fat free, fat free dessert candy. Uh, all right, I've got to, I've got to go back to the chocolate board here and pull out Milky Way caramel chocolate, delicious. And uh, with Snickers and Sour Patch Kids, one and two, I'm I'm just building the variety here. If you want nuts and nougat, I got you covered. You want sour gummies, I've got you covered. And if you like caramel and chocolate, I've got you covered here with my third pick, Milky Way. So, Joe, I'm curious, just to cut you off real quick, how difficult has
2: this been for you uh, to make to narrow down your top three? Because I felt really comfortable with you know, my first couple of selections. Um, I'm curious to you if you felt your picks were as
1: much of a no brainer as mine were. Well, I I'm really happy with it because I stacked up ten. I didn't get my number one overall pick, but I got two through two, three, and four, and so I feel really good about the way this is unfolding for me. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to make
2: my next selection as another bar. Uh, this one is a little polarizing, but if you've got it, if you've got the taste for it, there's few things that beat a buttery butterfinger. So I'm gonna take a butterfinger and I am gonna add that to my one two punch of peanut butter style candies with Reese's, and those are my two chocolates at this point in the in the game.
1: All right. And uh chocolate is, is the best candy, and so I'm gonna go ahead and go three deep here with chocolates with my fourth round pick. Give me the Twix bar. And oh, uh
2: yeah, yeah, I I was, I was hoping for that at five.
1: Yeah, you know what? And you took you've already taken two that I didn't have in my top ten and my number ten. So I am just filling this thing up with quality and depth throughout. Now, now I'm at the point of my board. I was really banking on
2: Twix at five. Um, my options, just to, for for full transparency, I'm looking at Twizzler, Pull and Peels, Mike and Ike's, and a Nestle Crunch Bar. I'm, I'm going to go with the pull-and-peel. You can have some fun with pull-and-peels. You can you know, stretch a string off and, and snap somebody with it if you want to. Uh, cherry's a good flavor. Strawberry's a good flavor. Uh, if it's red, as a pull-and-peel. And I don't like regular twi- Twizzler. Regular Twizzler's too condensed. It's too hard. It's too much work to eat. Like, I want something that, that is soft. Like the Swedish Fish, I'll go Twizzler pull-and-peel with my last pick.
1: Man, all three of those that you are contemplating were not on my board. Man, I I, I am feeling good right now, uh, Mister Irrelevant. But you're not irrelevant. You're going to help me win this thing. Number five, I'm taking Starburst. I think that's, that's a perfect that's a compliment to it's to my. You know, I need to get. I want to get three chocolates, two non chocolates. I got the one sour non chocolate. Now I've got the standard, just delicious Starburst, uh, kind of the chewy candy. And uh, man, I I am feeling good about this without getting Reese's.
2: Different strokes for different folks, I suppose, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah we'll find out what the people I, say tomorrow. I want
2: to know, know what your top ten board looks like that you know, three yeah.
1: of my picks weren't even on it. Yeah, here's my board. Uh, Reese's, Snickers, Sour Patch, Milky Way, Twix, Starburst, Twizzlers, Peanut M&M's, Mr. Good Bar, Kit Kat. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances to well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens.
2: Terms apply. Peanut M&Ms? Yeah, I was, yeah. Delete your account, man. It's the worst no, kind you, of M&M. You, you, it's the worst kind of Swedish M&M. want go fish. Yeah, I want no, gu- <laughs> a gummy. Yeah, but they... Oh. Peanut M&M's is easily the worst kind of M&M.
1: That's bad take, man. Crispy, That's...
2: pretzel, regular, dark chocolate. No. I would no. take them all before I took a peanut M&M. Bad take.
1: Bad take, Kyle.
2: It is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. So this weekend, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's put that behind us. We'll let the people decide that on social media. Uh, let's get on the record now. Who's putting out the poll? Because we put out two different polls last time.
1: Um... Yeah, we can't do that. I say we put it out from the NDT Scouting There LLC you go. Yep, we can yeah. retweet as much as we want. That's, pr- that's yep. beautiful. Okay. okay.
2: So, this weekend we both took trips. Both active on the scouting road. I, I made the road trip about four and a half hours to Morgantown, West Virginia. Uh, QB showdown between West Virginia and Oklahoma State, Will Greer, and Mason Rudolph that, to be quite frank, left me very disappointed in both. Um Rain was probably a bit of a factor here. Um, There were a lot of good football players in this game. You know, I I don't want to make it seem like uh, I was underwhelmed with the trip overall because there were uh, a lot of positive takeaways from both teams. You know, uh, West Virginia had a couple linebackers that were really fast. Uh, David Long, number 11. Uh, redshirt sophomore, but he's only 5'11, 220, so he's a bit of a tweener. But he had like five tackles for loss and a fumble recovery in the game, like super effective as a slasher. Uh, Xavier Preston and Al Rashid Benton, uh, there are other two linebackers in their three three five stack on the the second level of that defense. Al Rashid Benton, I, I really liked his ability to play forward and attack. Uh, he's a little bit more prototypical NFL linebacker size. I think he's listed like six one. Two thirty-five. Um, he blew up a couple in between the tackles runs just by seeing an, a crease when offensive linemen stepping down or pulling, and him getting into that gap and, and really flying in there full speed and really effective kind of stonewalling the point of attack that way. Speaking of the Oklahoma State run game, my goodness, I was expecting to see a lot of stuff from Justice Hill, uh, but he he got knocked out of this game early, and they have a freshman. Running back J.D. King, um, he's a hammer. He had 25 carries in the first half, and he did a really nice job of staying patient. And then when he decided it was time to go, the head went down. He ran through contact. He strung together cuts really well. He's he's built like a senior. Like he looks like he could go to the NFL right now as far as physical stature. So he was he really shined as well. Uh, and then the Oklahoma State defensive backfield, you know, they they just beat up the West Virginia wide receivers in this game and did, really did a nice job kind of throwing off the synchrony of the entire offense. Uh, West Virginia came in with David Sills, who's a, a junior, Karan White, who's a senior, and Garrick Jennings, who's also a junior. Those three guys were all on pace to eclipse a thousand yards through the team's 13 games. If you count them playing in a bowl game, uh, Will Greer had a career or a, a season low in passing yardage uh, Sills really struggled to catch the ball. Karan White was disrupted a number of times uh, at the catch point. Gary Jennings had a couple ugly drops. So uh, hat tip to this uh, defensive backfield for Oklahoma State. You know, the, apparently coming into the game, the word was they were weak at corner. But A.J. Green and Rodarius Williams were both in, are both ineligible, but they were physical at the line of scrimmage. And then, Joe, hat tip to you. You called this one. Uh, the two safeties, Trey Flowers and Raymond Richards, really physical in the middle of the field. They tackled well after the catch. They were effective, kind of playing forward and, and attacking bodies at the catch point, and they caused a lot of these drops that you saw these West Virginia wide receivers make. As far as the quarterbacks, this this is what it felt like everybody that was there to watch. There were two. AFC executives and one NFC executive that were there and in the pregames they were all parked right at the fifty and they would watch one team run their pregame and then the next team and then the next team going the other way run their pregame and they were following the quarterbacks. They were watching Mason Rudolph and Will Greer work. You know, I was had the opportunity to be down on the field and kinda follow these guys around a little bit, I had a chance to talk to some of them and their interest was in the quarterback play. And as far as Oklahoma State's Mason Rudolph, again, just he feels like he is what he is at this point. And he's got a really good mastery of the Oklahoma State offense. I don't know how much of that's going to translate. So you look at, okay, what are some NFL throws that you can make? And where are you looking for them? He's really effective going vertical, up the sideline. He's accurate placing those throws. But if you get him in the pocket, you make him stand on his platform, and progress through the field, the feet get anxious. He, he starts moving a little quicker. The internal clock st- clock starts getting urgent, and things kind of break down on him. It happened again in this game for the first two and a half quarters. Mason was amazing, just taking what West Virginia gave him. If they were playing off coverage to the isolated side of the line the screen, or isolated side of the formation, they'd run a ten yard out route, and Mason Rudolph pitch and catch every time. West Virginia probably got Oklahoma State in six or seven third and nine-plus situations, and every single time in the first half they played 10 yards off the ball. And it was a 10-yard speed out to the isolated side, pitch and catch. Rudolph was really good at just getting that information before the snap, understanding where they were soft, where they would have the opportunity to attack them if, if he's able to hit his back foot and get the ball out, and that's exactly what happened. And then he's forced to sit in the pocket, getting midway through the third quarter, and he starts beating things up. And then he kind of steps up in the pocket and tries to throw on the move, but he throws it behind his receiver, running an out route in the slot. And the linebacker picks it off and runs it back to bring the score to 30-24. And ultimately, Oklahoma State pulled away in this game, courtesy of a couple of nice vertical throws from Rudolph inside the 20-25 yard line. But that play was really symbolic of like, man, Macy, you got to cut those out. Because everybody's, nobody's got questions about your ability to run your offense and keep it on schedule, but when you're forced to make reads in the pocket and there's things happening around you and bodies flying all over the place, that's when we have our questions. And it really felt like that stretch midway through the third quarter through the first possession of the fourth quarter was where West Virginia had the opportunity to turn the heat up, they got some pressure on them, and they got to them. And it was just really frustrating. As far as West Virginia, Greer threw four picks in this game, of course. You know, you know, I, I planted my flag in the ground early, so you know when I go watch him play in a huge game against Oklahoma State, you just know he's going to fizzle because that's, that's just karma for you. You know, it happened last year with Trubisky. It, it's going to happen this year. Um, I'm not too worried about Greer as far as right now this game is the outlier. If they continue into the challenging part of the schedule, they play Iowa State, who all of a sudden is a defensive juggernaut. They, I believe, held TCU scoreless. I think their only touchdown was on a kick return. Uh, They play Iowa State. They still have to play Oklahoma. Uh, There's some big games remaining on West Virginia's schedule, and if Greer continues to repeat these performances in those games, yeah, we're going to have a problem. We're going to have to go back to the drawing board. But for right now, he made bad decisions. He threw the ball into coverage. But they were down three scores the entire game. So you can't take sacks on third and long when you're down three scores in the second half of a football game. I understand why the ball's getting out. And West Virginia really did not do a nice job of adjust, adjusting their route combinations to get him some easy pitch-and-catch, quick-hitting stuff. Everything they tried to do was continuing to develop plays down the field. And your receivers are getting a snot beat out at the line of scrimmage. Your off- interior offensive line can't black- block the two defensive tackles to save their lives. And Will's running for his life. So he's got to pick and choose his spots. He's got to know what he can afford to throw, what he's, he's got to eat and take the sack. A little bit of a learning experience for a guy who's pretty much had smooth sailing all the way through the season. So he made bad decisions in this game. He threw a number of really bad throws. Yes, the pressure got to him, but the offensive line was terrible. And the wide receivers were not getting off press at the line of scrimmage. And the play calling did not do him any favors because they were trying to continue to hit routes that were 15, 20 yards down the field when Will's hitting his back foot in the ground on his drops and he's immediately having to to run for his life. So the entire offensive effort for West Virginia in this game was just really chaotic and in disarray. So that's why I was underwhelmed with this performance, but I'm not concerned with the performance, whereas Mason Rudolph, it was another one of those reaffirmations of he kind of is what I think he is.
1: Kyle uh one of the things i was anxious to hear back from you on both quarterbacks from getting a chance to see them in person uh was their their physical ability particularly their arm strength Kyle what did you think about uh both of these guys and their ability to to zip the ball with velocity down the field and, and particularly in warm ups you know, what did you take away from the ball coming off their hands and and how it uh how it's uh how it came off and what type of uh, velocity they can get Sure
2: uh i i think will's will's arm is a little more live than Mason's. They both spin a really nice ball like when when they're able to to step into the throw uh, it spins really cleanly off their hands. Um, will's delivery is again a little little wonky it's not traditional. He's got some tilt it's like a three quarters arm slot so he kind of he has to manipulate his body a little bit when he throws it whereas Mason's more straight over the top. Um, I don't think arm strength is necessarily going to be an issue for either one of them. I feel more comfortable with Will's arm strength pure arm strength as far as you know generating velocity on throws than what I think Mason's is. But I think both of them have NFL caliber. Like somebody like Cody Kessler coming out of USC, like he was like Yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily NFL velocity or Luke Falk this year. Is you watch Luke Falk try and throw an out route. To the the far has far sideline when he's on the near side hash that ball floats forever and um, i didn't didn't see those kinds of issues with either one of those guys now I wouldn't necessarily say the ball explodes off either one of their hands, but if he had to get ask me you know to give a nod to one guy or another as far as arm ability and natural arm strength I, I think Greer would get both of those but uh, Mason's a little bit more. Polished as far as the delivery and the arm angle and you know, the throwing mechanics, where Will kind of gets by with more just natural ability.
1: Kyle, I had a chance to head up to Wake Forest to see Lamar Jackson and the Louisville Cardinals take on the Wake Forest Demon and Deacons, and as we know, Wake Forest won the game forty-two to thirty-two. And uh, I, I, my focus on this game was Lamar Jackson. You know, I, I cared about some of the other players that were on the field, but. You know, I really wanted to come away with a strong feel for Lamar's game and what he's doing pre-snap and post-snap and how he's being played and what what he does about it. And so I thought Lamar played a good football game. Obviously, over 400 yards total offense and four touchdowns is just another day at the office for Lamar Jackson. Uh, But I really appreciated the work that he did in rhythm passing. Uh, Wake Forest played a lot of cover four on him. And... With that said, you know that's taking away stuff deep, and he's got to hit stuff in between zones. And I thought he did a really nice job of understanding where that space was going to be and making throws with anticipation. Uh, from that perspective, probably one of my favorite performances by Lamar Jackson that I've seen this season. Um, down the field, things didn't go as well. And most of the time, he had down the field opportunities because he extended a play and was making a throw on the run, and, and you know his accuracy wasn't there. Uh, from, you know, obviously his elusive traits and his ability to make people miss and extend plays, all that stuff's going to be showing up every single week. But from a rhythm perspective, anticipation perspective, really like what I saw from Lamar Jackson. Again, his his targets dropped three touchdown passes. So for what that's worth, that seems to also be uh, business as usual. But my biggest takeaway from, from this trip and this game was getting a chance to speak with Lamar Jackson after the game. And I made a point of it to ask him three questions uh, just to kind of see where he was and how he would respond and really give him an opportunity to say something bad about his teammates or his defense. And um, so the first question I asked Lamar was, you know, this, in this game, he was the, he became the fourth player in NCAA history to go over 8,000 career yards passing 3,000 career yards rushing. And he's now holds the uh, all time ACC record for, 400 yard performances of total offense. And I said, Hey Lamar, what does it mean to you to be one of the most productive college football players in history? And his response was that, you know, that's great, but that's not one of my goals. My goal at the college level was to win a national championship and they got cut short this year. I'm thankful, but to win it, but for it, excuse me, I'm thankful for it, but to win would be better right then. And there, saying, you yeah, look, I, I, it's great. You know, I'm doing what I can do to help my team win the, the stats are great, but I want to win. I thought that said a lot about him. Uh, I then asked him, I said, look, Lamar, you, you accounted for 94% of your team's offense in this game. Do you feel like you're getting enough help from the players around you? And he, I mean, he looked me square in the eyes and says, absolutely. Um, and to give you the full quote, he said, excuse me, I'm referring to my notes here, and I, got, I said, absolutely, there wouldn't be me without the linemen, without the receivers. They're making a lot of great plays. It's not just me out there. Now, keep in mind, this is a situation where his players, his receivers, his targets have been dropping passes left and right all season long. And, uh, you know, he said, no, those guys are making plays. I wouldn't be me without them. And then lastly, I asked him about the defense. I mean, Louisville's defense was horrible in this game. They've been bad all year. They gave up 8.6 yards per play and 42 points to Wake Forest. And uh, when we, when I asked him, I said, you know, what type of pressure does that put on you in the offense? And uh, he, said, he said, we said, we got to do a better job of starting fast and we can't just rely on our defense. We put too much stress on them. We have to score touchdowns. And so from a maturity perspective, for him to take those three questions in stride and not make any excuses, say he wants he's. Happy for this production, but he wants to win. His goal is to win championships. That his teammates are part of the reason why he's having so much success, and not blame the defense and say, "Hey, look, we got to do a better job on offense, starting faster, because we're putting too much stress on this defense." I thought that said a lot about his maturity, and I think that's a really important takeaway. Outside of you know the way he played, the the physical traits that he has, there's a mental makeup that's required to be an NFL starting quarterback. And I thought Lamar Jackson did a hell of a job answering those questions and showing a lot of maturity in a season that hasn't gone the way I'm sure he and Louisville wanted it to go.
0: Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today.
1: Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over
0: 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances too. Well-qualified customers, full price, seven twenty plus tax. Finance agreements
1: required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply.
2: Yeah, that's great stuff. And, uh, hat tip to you for kind of dropping a line in the water. Maybe you get a nibble, good little juicy tidbit that somebody can run off with. <laughs> he didn't take the cheese, though, did he? No, he sure didn't. For the record, um... Uh, One of our colleagues, Ian Wharton, who is at NFL Film Study on uh, Twitter about a week ago, uh, he's been watching a lot of the prominent NFL draft quarterback prospects, and he posted his charted drop rates as far as surrounding casts. Um, And Lamar Jackson has the second worst drop rate out of a quarterback grouping that includes Josh Rosen, Jackson, Sam Darnold, Mason Rudolph, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Luke Falk. Uh, Jackson, six point two percent of his attempts have been drops. Mm -hmm. Entering this week's game, which, uh, as I seem to recall, Joe, uh, there were quite a few drops in this game. Yeah, I counted four. Four. I had four charted. Yeah. So um, it's really telling, you know. And hat tip to him for, you know, being the team guy and for uh, praising his, his teammates for some of his personal accomplishments as well. Uh, but he's also, Ian also charted pressure rates, and Lamar had the third highest pressure rate of that group of eight quarterbacks at 20% of his dropbacks. So one in every five dropbacks, uh, Jackson was pressured. Uh, Josh Allen has the worst pressure rate at 27%. Josh Rosen at 24, and Lamar at 20. Um, so it, it, for all the talk about supporting casts, which we're, we're hearing a lot of right now, depending on where people stand on particular prospects, um, Rosen and Jackson are both in the top three in both drop rates and pressure rates uh, in regards to how their offensive lines and, and uh, wide receiver groups are are helping them make plays happen. Uh, throughout the course of this 2017 season.
1: And I have to say that there's no chance that any of those teams have a worse defense at Louisville.
2: No, uh, I mean, <laughs> UCLA, UCLA's UCLA close. <laughs> 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 Haven't seen them play this year and, sure. and give up probably 750 yards to Memphis. Uh, they're close, but yeah, uh, Louisville's doesn't have a lot. And that's why I think if you look at both the case studies of Lamar and Rosen, they're both gone. I, I really think both of those guys, they expect to win. They want to win. Um, but they're getting the crap beat out of them, and they're not getting any help, and their teams aren't winning. So I think if you look at you know a lot of the prominent names, I think Rosen and Jackson, really, you could put those two, as far as I'm concerned, in the bank. I think they're gone because their offensive lines haven't been helping them. Their receivers haven't been helping them. Their defenses haven't been helping them. They're losing games. They should be winning. Um it's been a trying season for almost every
1: single quarterback prospect that's out there. How do we get those two teams in a bowl game? How do we get UCLA to play Louisville in a bowl game? Oh man, that Come on, would be, that's better that would than be like some
2: fireworks.
1: We're going to get Toledo and in, in, in uh Careful. in New Mexico. You are going to offend some
2: fans right now.
1: Look, I, I respect those teams <laughs> as much as anybody, but how do I get UCLA and Louisville to play each other after the season? You that don't. You a- don't want to see the six and
2: one Marshall Thundering Herd playing a bowl game. We're going to. It's going to happen. Yes, we are. They are hashtag bowl eligible. <laughs> Just like both of our candy teams, they are bowl eligible. So you got to vote us into the college football playoff of Halloween candy teams. Uh, Joe, i got one more thing I want to talk about, because we talked about quarterbacks and supporting casts and who's not getting any help. You know who has had a successful year? Hasn't had a trying season quite as much as anybody else? That's Baker Mayfield. And Baker is an interesting case study for me because I think you can look back over uh, a couple of quarterbacks that have come through the draft process over the past couple of years. And there's some telling things about where I think Baker's going based on what we're seeing on film and, and who he is as a person. First of all, if you want to compare Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel, because they're both scrambling style quarterbacks and Baker got arrested, uh, please see yourself out. <laughs> that is so far from the truth as far as Baker's growth in this offense. I, re- I really honestly think the best thing that could have happened to Baker Mayfield is having D.D. Westbrook, Samaj P. Ryan, and Joe Mixon go to the NFL a year before he did. Because it has now forced Baker to take the entire onus of the offense onto his shoulders. And he is the guy. He's the guy that's distributing. He's the guy in the run game. He's making a lot of zone read things happen. He's making things happen from the pocket. Yes, he looks to move off his platform. And yes, he has a free and, and freelance style to him. But don't compare him to Johnny. You know, don't compare him to Johnny off the field. You know, Baker made a mistake. Anybody who's talked to Baker Mayfield and anybody who listens to anything Baker Mayfield has to say now, versus Johnny, like, Johnny was a cokehead. It's called spade a spade. Like, Johnny, Johnny's play style afforded him zero opportunity to do things off the field that would have taken away from his time and effort to being the best quarterback he could be. Johnny showed promising flashes with the Browns, but Johnny couldn't play for more than two weeks in a row because he was out partying and, and didn't care about football. Go read Baker Mayfield's uh, profile on the the Oklahoma Sooners Athletic website from last week before this football game uh, that they played against Texas Tech this weekend where Baker talks about getting his shoulder hurt in the red rivalry game, not being able to throw a football until Friday morning before the Kansas State game, and then ultimately deciding after talking to the athletic staff you're not going to do any more damage, so you just have to make a decision if you can deal with the pain or not. And then Baker goes out there and throws 410 yards, leads his team back from an 11-point halftime deficit. And does so by scrambling, getting a key first down on third down by running for it, and dropping his shoulder and running over a Wildcats tackler with his throwing shoulder that no sooner than two days before he couldn't even throw a football with. He is an ultimate competitor. And I would not bet against Baker in that regard. But what's most frustrating about Baker, as far as I'm concerned, is having watched six of his games so far this season, how people can still say Baker's a running quarterback and Baker uh, has a weak arm. Uh, I've seen Baker throw on the move on a ball that travels 55 plus yards in the air with velocity and is, is throwing accurately down the field in those situations. I've seen him zip a ball into a hole in in cover two uh, in the soft spot working to the boundary. I've seen him off a non-fixed throwing platform uh, be able to put a ball up the sideline or back across his body after he's extended a play and and been able to shake. And it's it's an elementary uh, back-across-the-body field uh, throw where he's not necessarily... Throwing into coverage, there's a guy wide open because the play's just broken down. So if you want to talk to me about Baker as a running quarterback, 2015, he had 141 rushing attempts. That number was cut in half in 2016. So if you are operating under the assumption that Baker's a running quarterback, you're not operating under up-to-date film. I think one of the most important things that you can do is... Understand where players come from, but do not marry yourself to an impression of a player based on what you saw in 2015. And the other big name I want to bring up here is Dak Prescott, because if you would have looked at Dak Prescott before his senior year at Mississippi State, you wouldn't have thought anything of him. You know, he he was very much a point and shoot, one read quarterback, liked to, to see his receiver get into his break before he threw the ball, and then he would take off and run. And he had a lot of running plays. Well, lo and behold, Dak Prescott, senior year, he totally transforms the way he plays. And if you look at Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma, doing the same exact thing where he loses every major weapon around him and has now totally changed the way that he's played. He is completing 72.5% of his passes. And I understand completion percentages and everything. He's also averaging 11.1 yards per attempt. His adjusted yards per attempt is 12 and a half. He's thrown for 23 touchdowns and three interceptions in eight games. He has been phenomenal. And it is not just rink and dink, screens down the field. Go on my timeline. I did about four games of, of Baker Mayfield and tweeted out a ton of plays that are NFL-style plays, throwing into holes in zone coverage, throwing deep down the field, high-low reads, whether that's horizontally or vertically, isolation route concepts against a single-zone defender, and reading that and reacting to that, and that's how you make your decision to make your throw. These are all NFL concepts, guys, and Baker's running them at Oklahoma even though it's a spread offense. So don't marry yourself to the opinion that Baker's weak-armed and a running quarterback based on 2015 tape because you're making a mistake if you watch him now.
1: I think that's what's most exciting for me about Baker Mayfield is seeing the evolution and seeing him get better. You know, I I don't think this is a bad thing. I, I think it's a really good thing to see somebody evolve as a player and in doing so, evolve in terms of the way he fits in the NFL and you start taking him seriously as an NFL quarterback. That's not something probably in 2015 that I was taking Baker Mayfield very seriously, but then the improvements he showed last year and now this year, it's really exciting to see. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, with uh, him not being, you know, uh, a four year guy who did exactly the same thing. I like that growth. I like to see that a player's, uh, trajectory is upward and that they're not a finished product and maybe that's something when you contrast him to a, to a Mason Rudolph who's essentially been the same player for three years and there's a lot of things I like about Mason Rudolph but you know Baker Mayfield is redefining himself and showing more NFL traits where Mason Rudolph's showing the same NFL traits he's always shown and so yeah I don't think he should be discriminated against because of where he started we should be praising him for the evolution and where he is right now. And, And where he is right now is somebody who's turning heads and really gaining a lot of steam as an NFL prospect.
2: Yeah. He's, he's really, he's done as much to help himself at this point as anybody in college football. As far as I'm concerned with, with where I felt he was based off of the assessment of 2015 and 2016 tape that we did over the summer and seeing where he's playing now and, and seeing, you know, you can get two plot lines, And you can get an idea, but once you get the third plot line, it becomes a trend, right? And you start to see one, two, three, and they're all trending upwards. That arrow every year points up, and that's when you get excited. And uh, that's kind of where I am with Baker, because uh, he's playing lights out. He's playing phenomenal football. So hat tip to him. Hat tip to him for handing out Halloween candy to the refs <laughs> on the sideline of that that game against Texas Tech. Uh, hopefully, there were some Reese's peanut butter cups there in that uh, that their <laughs> bag that he had because that's uh, that's Kyle Krabs' favorite candy. So, and Joe, I have it on good authority that's your favorite candy too. So, oh, of course, if you're looking course. to vote for a good Halloween uh, candy team of five, I think the the one with the Reese's peanut butter cups is a no brainer. And with that, I'm not going to give Joe a chance to to rebut that. I'm just going to turn us right to the close. And I'm going to tell you guys that if you enjoyed today's episode of Draft Dudes, I would highly encourage you to hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Uh, If you have not reviewed the Draft Dudes podcast, uh, we live and breathe on your reviews. We need five-star reviews. To continue our livelihood, so we we would kindly ask uh, that you give us an extra pep in our step. Drop us a five star review if you enjoy the Draft Dudes podcast. Uh, if you have any questions on the show, if you want to vote for the game winning Halloween candy team, you can do so on Twitter. You can reach the poll at NDT Scouting LLC. You can reach Joe. Tell him how bad his team is at the Joe Marino, and you can tell me how awesome my team is at NDT Scouting. If you don't have If you don't agree with that concept, you know, just probably hang out a couple days and then let it blow over, and then you can tell me what you think. So uh, I'm Kyle Krabs, signing off for Joe Marino, and this is the Draft Dudes Podcast. We will talk to you guys on Wednesday. What does your morning sound like? Uh, Goodbye, baby. She's finally asleep. Hi, welcome to McDonald's.
1: Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles?
2: Here's to making your morning routine a little better with a delicious breakfast from McDonald's.
0: Mix and match two of your favorites for just $4. The sausage McMuffin with egg and the sausage egg and cheese McGriddles. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.